Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. VO2. Pitts. We're going to miss. Ducked him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. All right, it is Wednesday, June 21st, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne. I'm Jim Chesko, Chet to most, and with Bill Furman off this week, he's traveling. I'll be your host, yep, flying solo, but with a couple of terrific guests on the show and plenty to discuss as usual. In case you missed it, as of 12.24 a.m. Wednesday, we are officially into the summer season. And speaking of turning things upside down, as the cars sang, how about that big deal the Sixers pulled off a couple of days ago ahead of the Thursday NBA draft? We will go over the specifics and talk about what it means for the 76ers' near-term and long-term future when we're joined by Mike Kern of the Philadelphia Daily News a little bit later on. But first, we're going to welcome back a Hall of Famer to Philly Press Box Radio. She was with us just about a year ago, early July last year, and it was one of our most popular shows in the three and a quarter years that Bill and I have been doing this. That's because all these years later, a lot of folks of a certain age have fond memories of the old Philadelphia and Eastern Warriors. Yep, the roller derby or roller games. And one of its most popular skaters from the late 1960s and early 70s, Judy Arnold, is on the show again. Judy, it is a big thrill to say welcome back to Philly Press Box Radio. Thanks, Chet. Great to be back with you. And you are somewhere in Ohio, and uh, you said it's a little humid out there. As I noted, summer has officially arrived. I know you travel a lot going all over the country. You okay with the summer heat? Yes, I adjust fine with <laughs> the heat. You know, hopefully we're somewhere where there's air conditioning, and and usually there is. So, it's you know, that's that works well. You got it. Yeah. Now, when you joined us last summer, Judy, it was the 6th of July, to be specific. We talked quite a bit about the heyday of roller derby, the late 60s and into the mid-70s. And you were one of the main faces of the sport. Did you have a sense of just how popular you, Buddy Atkinson, Little Richard Brown, and some of the others were at that time? Well, you know, I think after a couple of years of full houses, we started to realize that this is amazing. You know, the the fans, I've said this before, uh, that the fans in that, you know, tri-state, I don't know, all of them were amazing. We used to love to skate at the Philadelphia uh, arena. The fans there, they have those great big horns, and they blow those horns. And it's, it was just amazing. The fans were uh, so supportive of our teams, and um, we loved skating in that area. And 
yeah, knowing that we were famous, I guess after a while we realized it, but we still tried to stay grounded and relate to the people. I told a story one time that years ago when I was a young girl and just starting to try to skate, I was in San Francisco and the Bay Bombers had been training there at the armory and I had been outside and one of the skaters came out and he wasn't one of the big stars, but he was, he was well known. Run Run Jones was his name. That's what they called him, Run Run, because he used to run on his skates when he'd skate. And he came out mm-hmm. and, and we, we skated, we had little, you know, clamp on skates or something. I don't even know what we had, but we skated over to him and he stopped and talked with us. And that, that just so affected my life that someone famous like that stopped and took a couple of minutes for uh, some young kids. And so that really, uh, I think really affected how I tried to be kind to the fans because they, you know, they're the ones that supported us by coming to our games. And besides, they needed somebody to stop and say hello. So I always tried to not act like I was better than them and I was a big star. And so I always tried to stop and say hello. And I think it's so important that we take time for peace. So I always, and I I believe the others did too. Yeah. No, uh, Judy, I, I got to tell you, you are still a lovely woman, and I know that because I see you on Facebook, and I, I saw you in person again last August, I think it was, when you were in Hamilton, New Jersey. But one of the nicknames you had back in the day when you were skating, I think the announcer, Elmer Anderson, gave it to you, was Pretty Judy. How did you like that nickname? Well, <laughs> you know, it was nice that he, he did that. I mean, you, if you watch it, you did, I'm sure. Others had yep. some, some of the visiting team skaters didn't have you know, really good name. So, I mean, I appreciated that he he called me that. That was that was nice. Did the roller games maybe use your good looks to help attract viewers? Uh, I guess that helped. You know, but it was more the skating, I believe, than the looks. That uh, that's what I think. I think the fans just really loved the excitement and the the skating part and the action. But you know, I'm sure it didn't help that. I, they called me Pretty Judy, and I wasn't too bad looking <laughs> in the day. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you when I met you five years ago. I had a little crush on you. I admit it. <laughs> now, uh, in July of ni- in July of 1974, you were on the Mike Douglas show, and you were out of breath from having just skated when Mike talked to you. But I wanted to play a little 35 second clip of that interview. Again, this is 1974. Mike Douglas with you, Judy. Sport has been called a cross between the circus, hockey, and lady wrestling. Do you see it that way, Judy? I see it as a great sport that I love very much, and that I work very hard at, and that all the people who work in it work very hard. We're out here to do a job, entertain people, and we work our darndest at it. And I pray that we we do entertain the people. Do you have to like violence to participate in this game? No, you don't have to like violence. Number one, I don't like violence. <laughs> Some of these people that watch it may not believe that. But off of the track, I truly don't like violence. I don't feel it gets you anywhere. <laughs> it was on that same show, by the way, that tennis legend and sometimes hustler Bobby Riggs challenged you to an impromptu match race. And you did beat him, of course. Anyway, all yeah. of that, Judy, leads me to this. <laughs> the roller games were a sport with a lot of athleticism required to do the skating and the jumps and the other moves that were you know, involved. But there was also a large degree of entertainment as well, of course. 
Are you able to say, you know, how much of the action and the outcome was predetermined? Well, you know, I never knew who was going to win a game. I was, I was just doing my best I could, and uh, there was always uh, the fans definitely didn't want just skating; they wanted action. So there was a few mm-hmm. fights that made were were put on, and we got pretty good at that. I could fight without really, really hurting anybody, but. Um, we learned to work together, you know, because it it was bore it would be boring just skating, but action was what the fans came for to see that that kind of the, the some of the whips and some of the moves we did were took a lot of practice and a lot of uh, you know training, and mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for the things that we learned over the years to be able to do to. Uh, skate and make it uh, enjoyable for the people that came to watch us. So, but, Speaking uh, of the entertainment value, I, I remember in a 2010 interview that I watched on YouTube, you said you thought the WWF, as it was known back then, learned a lot from you folks in the roller derby world. Yeah, I believe they could. They did. Because we did a lot of throwing people down and, and entertaining, you know what I mean, making it entertaining for the people. And uh, you see you know, so much of that. It's amazing how well they have done and how far they've gone and still going. You know, they're making lots of money with uh, the wrestling nowadays. But, you know, roller roller games just, um, just I think it was the, the, the timing, the time that uh, financial things were switching and things were getting more expensive and they had to raise ticket prices and it just, didn't work for um, the fans and the crowds just started to dwindle and part of it was I think part of it was that the fans wanted a lot of action and you can only do so many things without without really hurting somebody seriously and and uh, we we hit people with chairs we threw tables we uh, jumped on top of people. I mean, you did all kinds of things, but it's, it, but then they want. If you want more than that, then you run out of stuff that can be done. And <clears throat> I think the crowds just started to dwindle. I think so, you told us last time you were on that you were only injured once, pretty seriously, when you had that broken ankle, a severely broken ankle. Uh, how did that happen? I couldn't. Yes. I can't remember. Yeah, it was at the Spectrum in Philly. I was. Uh, Starting blocking two women like I, I usually could do. It wasn't a big deal. And the next thing I know, I totally lost control. I mean, I was in, went into a rail, and my we had a little kick rail around the bottom of the track so that, you you know, you wouldn't go flying out. There was a way to stop you from going straight out through the rail. And I caught my skate on that, my right skate on that railing, and my body was moving, and it it uh, my foot didn't move and it just dislocated my whole right ankle and broke bones up the right side of it. They say I was cracked in seven places and uh, dislocated. That was a pretty serious injury. But you know that yeah, you were out for quite a while. Yeah, I know. That was like thirteen years into my career, and and uh, so all those years of not serious injuries. You know, I'm just grateful that that was my only major one. Hey, in 2009 in San Francisco, where you got your start with the Bay Area Bombers, the Roller Derby folks gave you a Lifetime Achievement Award. I guess that was a pretty nice honor, was it not? Yeah, that was really nice. I felt very honored that, um, you know, they 
they recognize me that way. And yeah, my I think my both of my brothers were there for that. That made me really happy to have them with me at that place. And my younger brother Tom was uh, very interested in skating in the beginning. He went to training school with me, but somewhere along the line, he decided that it was probably too dangerous and he could really get hurt. So he backed out, but I stayed in, and the rest is history. <laughs> hmm. but yeah, that was an honor. That was an honor to get that award. Yeah. From following you and our old buddy Gary Powers on Facebook, it looks like you folks from the classic era of roller derby have frequent reunions. Is it fun to get together with those skating legends from 40 or so years ago? Oh, my gosh, yes. We have a, we have a lot. Of, it makes me laugh to think about it. We have a lot of laughs, just memories, lots of memories of our skating days and traveling days. And, you know, we were we had to travel a lot on buses and, you know, go different places, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I mean, really, I mean, I, when I did, it was time, but I loved it. I loved what I did. I loved the travel. I enjoyed, loved skating. I mean, that was everything to me. And so, I mean, but so now when we get together, it's just fun to see friends that we haven't seen. Some of them I haven't seen in 25, 30 years. Uh, Otis Williams came, um, not this year, but last year. And it was such a joy to see Otis because I hadn't seen him in, since I quit skating. So that was 40 years almost. So it's great. And I've seen Jim Trotter over the years and, and, uh, he's doing great. He, he, uh, he and his wife are, uh, living in, I believe it's Florida and he's very happy. He's doing really good. And, and, uh, you know, Richard, I get to see Richard almost every year. Cindy Ogden shows up, and Yolanda Trevino came two years ago. It was mm-hmm. great to see her. And Roberta Mitchell, I see her every year. And then, yeah, I just came back. I just came from there in July this year. We were, I was there. And, no, not July. It's only June. So uh, it was in uh, May, hmm. in May. We had the reunion there in Vegas and saw a lot of them there. So that was that was really fun. Boy, hearing all those names brings back a lot of memories. I was a big fan, as you know, of the early 70s era with Richard Brown and Buddy Atkinson and Jim Trotter and those guys. One of my friends on Facebook yep. asked about Jim Trotter, so you, you just answered about Jim Trotter. I know you're pretty close with Cindy Ogbin. Who else are you uh, most tight with these days? I still have a contact with uh, Sally Vega. Uh, and I'm trying to think who else that, um, you know, Cindy, I do see her often, um, but I, I don't have a, you know, real close contact with many of the skaters very often, but now with Facebook, it makes it wonderful, you know, oh, that yeah. you get to see people that, uh, you know, on Facebook, I feel like it's like, we, even when we see each other in person, you're not shocked because you've been following each other on Facebook, so you realize that each one of us have aged a little bit. <laughs> so it's, but, I'll, I'll um, tell you, one, one guy who, who doesn't seem to be aging is Richard Brown. When I saw you guys four or five years ago, I was surprised to see how well he was still skating. He played in you know, one of the old-timers games and still looked great. And you told me before we went on, he still skates occasionally now. He's got to be well into his 60s, right? Oh, yeah, he sure is, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I'm, he's late sixties, I think. And I was going to say to you yeah. that when we when we go to Vegas, um, Lolly, I can't. Her last name is very hard to say, but 
she and her husband, she skates for the Bay Bombers when they have games, and she and her husband have a bank track in their backyard in Las Vegas. So we have wow. a reunion. The uh, first night we meet there, and we have a barbecue, and we anybody that wants to skate brings their skates, and they can skate on the bank track, and they even try to have a you know, brief game, you know, just put two teams together and have a game, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, except usually because it's uh, Las Vegas, it can be kind of hot. This year they had to wait till I think it was 8 o'clock to even think about having a game because it was so hot out there in the sun. So, yeah. Oh, another skater I see at reunions is Jan Vallow, who was one of my real competitive, uh, you know, I'm sure you remember that name. She, she I do know that a name. Lot of, yeah, yeah, she was a great skater, and I always enjoyed skating against her. Good competitive skater, so I get to I got to see her and just on Whirly Bird. Do you remember that name, Whirly Bird? Yeah. Yep. She was on my team. Oh yeah. yeah. She was there. Yeah, she was there. We always have we always have lots of fun. So it's great to see the skaters. It's like somebody said it this year. It's like we're a family, and we just mm-hmm. of course. It's a different kind of family than many, but it's it, you know we were together so much that we don't forget each other and we just really care for one another. So that's really nice. Now today, Judy, there are still roller derby leagues around the country. They're certainly not as popular as you know back in the '70s. Do you ever watch some of the action, some of the skaters, and see how they're doing? Maybe give them some tips as you watch them. Yeah, I do. I. I in Reading where I live, I go over when they have a, a game. I go, I try to go and 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 support them. Just be there, just encourage them. Um, I've said this before, you know. Some of the my age group thinks that that's not roller derby, and and it's not what we did. It is not. They don't have a bank track. Mm-hmm. They skate on a flat floor, but they have the same zeal that we had. They love it. They. These girls nowadays, they pay for their everything. They pay for their skates. They pay for the clothes they wear. They pay to get in the building sometimes to do the skate. So, you know, falling on that hard floor is uh, very, very painful. So I give oh, them yeah. a lot of credit. And I, I do see if we had bank tracks now, at, well, there are a few across the country, but n- nothing like, you know, in the day in the 70s, 60s, 70s. But um, there are some absolutely great skaters. I mean, really good skaters, and I enjoy watching. And by the way, when you said when you said Redding, you are from Redding, California these days, not Redding, Pennsylvania, right? That's correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Got it. Where it's 110 today, so I guess I'll stop complaining about (laughs) 80 in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Judy, we've never really talked much about religion on Philly Press Box Radio before. Even uh, last summer when you were with us, we barely touched on it. But any discussion with Judy Arnold has to go there because it's what your life is all about these days. So tell us how you decided to leave roller derby at a still young age in the mid-1970s, what role Sally Vega played in that decision, and how your life changed at that point. Yeah, um, that that was after – and we've talked about this before. I made that, that I had the opportunity to double for Raquel Welsh in the movie Kansas City Bomber. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, the early 70s. I'm not sure the exact uh, year. But 
that was an experience for me to see movie stars, you know, which as a young girl, you always think if you're a movie star and you're pretty and you've got everything you want, you're happy. Well, at that time in Raquel's life, she was not happy. She did not seem like a real happy lady. And um, it was in the place in my life where I was at the top of my career, but there was stuff still like, so where am I going from here? She's not happy, and I'm at the top, and I'm not really fully happy. What's what's the plan here? What's happening? And, and I, like, didn't know what to do. I mean, I had a faith in God as a little girl, and even growing up, I just believed there was a God, but so what? So there's a God, so let's have fun and let's live. I mean, but when I got to that place where I'm like, so what's life really about? My friend Sally Vega, just God used her to come into my life and share the gospel of Christ with me. That Bible says we're all sinners and we're all on our way to hell and Jesus Christ paid the price so we could go to heaven. And I'm like, so what does that mean? I don't get it and I don't understand it. But long story short, it took some time, but it, it began to be real to me that this Jesus who died for me, died for everything I'd ever done. And, and you know, I don't know, probably many people listening who maybe are listening have times in their life where you try to do good and you try to turn over a new leaf. And, you know, New Year's Eve, everybody has this thing. Oh, I'm just going to stop doing that, start doing this. And it's a great idea, but it doesn't last long. And I was at that place where in my life, something has to change. And so in, in um, receiving Christ, I just prayed and asked him to forgive me of all of my sin and come into my heart. And it was a life-changing experience. I, I cannot tell you what his love, and, and that's the greatest thing about it all, is that I looked, I looked for love all my life in all, many, many wrong places, because we all do, because we were created by God, and God is love, and, and so we are to be loved, but we are also to love others. And I was looking for love, and when uh, I experienced the love of Christ in my life, it was just overwhelming for me. And all I wanted was to know Jesus more. I wanted to know and understand. I wanted to follow him. And so, long story short, I felt the call to go to Bible college and give up my career to follow him. And so I did. And I don't regret a minute of what I did. I mean, I loved digging, and anyone that watched me knows that I loved it, and I gave it everything. But when I met Christ and came to understand his love and care for me. All I wanted to do was follow him, but I also wanted to make him known to other people because there's no greater love than that kind of love. That's, that no, see, the greatest thing, Chet, for me was that he knew everything about me, which nobody knew. I wouldn't tell anybody everything I'd done, what I'd been involved in and all of those things. And when I realized that he knew everything about me because he created me and he just knew and he loved me, well, that was it. It's like, oh, I want to follow him. I want to follow him. I want to serve him. And so, you know, I left in 1975 to go to Bible college, which was an absolute miracle because I hated school. I cheated in school. I never wanted to go back to I want to do roller derby. (laughs) And now I'm in Bible college. I'm like, how did I get here? But I loved it. It was hard. 
but it was worth every minute of beginning to understand more about God and his love. And, and uh, so anyway, I don't regret a minute of, you know, what I've learned, what he's done in my life. My, um, you know, it's just, uh, I'm just very grateful, very grateful. And, you know, when I went to Bible college, it was very challenging. This is just a funny point. My older brother, when I was in school, my older brother would help me with book reports because I didn't, I hated reading and I didn't know how to do a book report. So he helped me write it out. I copy it. I hope nobody, I don't think any of my teachers would be living now anyway, but uh, anyway, I turned in my book report and I get a, okay, great, but I never did it myself. So now I'm in Bible college and they want me to do a book report. I'm like, where's my brother? You know, (laughs) but so I, I had to do things that were very hard because, you know, when you cheat, that comes back around somewhere and, you know, it's like, okay, now I have to do this myself, but I did it. And I graduated Bible college. It was a four year Bible college in three years. And I graduated with highest honors. And I say to Hmm. God, and no regrets. And here we are now 38 or 39 years later, and you're, you're still doing it. No regrets. You said, uh, in our final two minutes, Judy, tell everybody what you are doing today. Your, uh, you know, ministry. Yeah, I, I travel uh, uh, with another lady that uh, there was uh, three of us were together for a lot of years traveling all over. Now, one of the, our uh, we're three roommates and one stays at the house and takes care of things. And that Nancy and I have been traveling and speaking in uh, you know churches as we have opportunity. And I'd love to get if anyone in Philly is listening that would like me to come. I'd love to come just share my heart at your church. I don't know how they can get in touch with me. I guess they can go to my website or. Call yeah, call Facebook Judy. website. Yeah, that would be so fun. I'd love, because I, I love Philadelphia and I love the Jersey. And anyway, um, so yeah, so we do that. We do one-on-one, uh, just loving on people across the country. Because you know what? There was an old song, wasn't there, Chet? What the world needs now is love. And boy, mm-hmm. does it need that now. And love begins with each one of us. You know, you can, you can yell at other people because they don't know they're not doing right but what about you you know it starts right here i need to know how to love i need to love people no matter who they are and uh that's only through god's love can we do that because our love stinks god's love is, is everlasting and goes on and on and on so we do a lot of traveling and and uh as opportunities come we speak in churches we speak in women's groups that would kids, whatever opportunity I get, I take it. So that's what i People doing. can find you on Facebook and they can check out your website, judyarnoldskater.com, correct? Yes. Yes. Lots of information there. Get in touch with me. I'd love to come and come to your church. If you're listening or you're, ask your pastor if he's not listening. If he is, well, I'd love to be with you. I'd love to just encourage and inspire your people. That's my heart to encourage people. And, uh, life to people. So that's what I like to do. Well, Judy, I knew this was going to happen. Time just flew by. We talked for 27 minutes and uh, I could probably have another you know, hour to talk to you because uh, there's always some great memories and things going through my head when I talk to you about you know the old days. So <laughs> maybe we'll have to do it again next year. All right. Sounds good, Chet. All right, Judy. Thank you. you so much and uh, en- enjoy your summer. Thanks. We'll, we'll talk again. Bye-bye. Absolutely. 
No, it's not St. Patrick's Day, but I just thought I'd add a little Irish music this week while I took a minute to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Bucks County. I've told you before, the Irish Rover has a terrific atmosphere, spacious dining area, the outdoor patio is open now, daily food and drink specials, including Budweiser specials for all Phillies games, and menu items from burgers and gourmet wings to filet mignon. Hey, speaking of burgers, every Thursday at the Rover, it's Killer Burger Thursday when the chef whips up some awesome creations like this week. The Handyman, two five-ounce burgers, yeah, two, with Swiss and cheddar, bacon, ketchup, pickles, and fried onions on a Kaiser roll. Yum. Saturday night, DJ Dave gets the party going and keeps it going. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. All right, let's see if we can uh, get our next guest on the line. By the way, did I mention that it is officially summer? I think I did. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirty and gritty. All right, Mike Kern from the Philadelphia Daily News will be joining me in just a moment. And given the Sixers news this week, he and I may or may not get to any Phillies talk. Boy, how bad has this team been this season? It's just Unbelievable. They've been swept eight times this year already. Hard to believe they were 11-9 and nine to start the season. Since then, well, a lusty 11-38. and 38. Yeah, they've lost 12 of their last 13 and 38 of their last 49 through Tuesday night. It pains me to even think about how things have gotten this bad, but we'll see if we can get a comment or two from Mike Kern about the fills. Mike Kern, are you there? Hello. There I you are. The other two times you called, yeah. I don't. I know, and then the call dropped. I don't know why. You know, modern, modern technology. What can that's, I tell you? That's fine. Hey, Mike, you you probably didn't hear the first part of the show because uh, you weren't connected until just the last thirty seconds or so. But I got to tell you, the uh, first half of the show we had roller derby Hall of Famer Judy Arnold from the Philadelphia and Eastern Warriors on. Did you watch the roller games back in the day? Yes, I did. Judy Arnold and Buddy Atkinson and. Um... Jim Trotter and uh, Little Richard and, uh, yeah, yep. Philadelphia Warriors. Yep, those are the yeah. four big names yeah, that come to mind for me when I think of it, too. So, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out there. All right, Mike, this is a pretty I, exciting yeah. time on the Philly sports scene. Yeah. The Eagles have added some weapons for Carson Wentz. The Flyers have the number two pick in Friday night's NHL draft. And, of course, the big news this week, that trade by the Sixers with the Celtics the other day to snag the first overall pick in Thursday night's NBA draft, who, of course, will be guard Markel Fultz out of Washington. Are you on board with this? You didn't mention the Phillies. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll get to them. Don't worry. No, I mean, I think – look, here, here's the problem with all this stuff. Everybody's anointing Markel Fultz as the best player. He may be the best player. I don't know that. But the first guy taken is not always the best player. He seems like he's a good fit. Um, and it's probably better than if you had stayed at three and you know ended up with something that maybe you didn't think was a good fit. But I don't know if the kid from Kentucky or the kid from Kansas or Lonzo Ball or somebody taking eighth or ninth, for all I know, is going to turn out to be better. And anybody who says they know that, it, it, that's – you hear that every year, unless it's unless it's um, uh, LeBron or, you know, I mean, Kobe went 14th, I think, when he came out or some number like that. So I think everybody's just got to temper, you know, their things. OK, you know, you're, you're getting what could be a really, really good player. But, but, you know, let's see. Can I see him play a game first? Can I see Ben Simmons play a game first? Can I see 
uh, Embiid play more than 30 games. So, I mean, I pose this question to to somebody, and it's gotten a little, it's actually got a lot of debate in Philly the last day or so. If the Knicks call, would you trade Markel Fultz for Porzingis? Right Boy, now? that's a great question. Well, would I don't you? think the. Well, here's the thing: if, if because people in Philadelphia before they got the number one pick, we're talking about maybe getting Porzingis. If the Knicks were going to trade Porzingis, maybe you dangle the third pick uh, and something. What the something is, but I don't think the Knicks straight up would make that trade. I think the Knicks would want more than that. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But if you're the Sixers and you could add Porzingis, who's proven to be you know, a pretty good commodity, is he the number one pick in this draft if he's in it? I mean, he's played two years. He's played at a pretty high level. He's a seven-foot-two guy who can shoot a three and protects the rim. So you would have him playing next to Embiid. That's pretty good. Now, I'm not saying Fultz playing next to Simmons isn't pretty good. I'm just saying is what do you have a better chance of getting in life? Fultz or Przingis? I think you have a better chance of getting another Fultz than you have a Przingis. Now, if Fultz turns into to Michael Jordan, then obviously that's a stupid answer. But I'm just saying, for would you? I mean, if I'm the Sixers and the Knicks called me tomorrow and said we'll trade you straight up Przingis for for the number one pick, I would do it. You know, he's 21 years old, but but it's not going to happen. So it's just. But I'm just saying, everybody's got to just ease back on the throttle a little bit. This could this could be a great fit. Could turn out to be a big piece of whatever happens to this team going forward. But you know, how many parades have I seen in Philadelphia since 1980, whatever, 83? Hmm. I've seen one. So Mike, one know, of the big just, wild cards, Mike. Let's just hold. What's that? Yep. Uh, one of the big wild cards I was going to say is Ben Simmons, and whether or not he's going to be able to succeed playing the point, or as Brian Colangelo put it, being the primary ball handler on offense. We just don't know, do we? Right. Well, he might not be the primary ball handler now. I mean, that's why you got Fultz. Fultz is a point guard. He's not a two guard. I mean, he can play two guard, but he's everybody. He's a point guard. So now there's been some stuff in the paper that. Well, maybe, you know, he becomes your primary ball handler, and then you haven't – I've never there, – there's two schools of thought. One is, can Ben Simmons be Penny Hardaway, which is the closest thing – forget Magic. I don't want to hear about it. But can he be what Penny Hardaway – well, maybe he can. Penny Hardaway was a pretty darn good point guard until he got hurt, and he was like 6'7", 6'8", whatever. All I've ever seen of Ben Simmons, he's had the ball in his hands, making things happen. And I think if he gets a rebound and gets out on the break – he can certainly make stuff happen. In the NBA, eventually it turns into a half-court game at some point. So is he the guy you want running a half-court offense? I don't know. Maybe I've heard Larry Brown on the radio here basically say it's an idiotic idea. Maybe Larry yeah. Brown doesn't know what he's – You know, Larry Brown's not always right either. But I'm saying with this pick, if it's false, which we assume it is, it gives the Sixers that option of, you know, they basically have two ball handlers. Now, can they coexist? Uh, everybody seems to think so, but, you know, we won't know until we see. But, um, you know, and I think that's why everybody's so excited about faults because, it's like, here's your here's your backcourt now. Um, because Simmons presents an interesting – a lot like Porzingis presents an interesting dilemma because there just aren't people, you know, 6'9", that kind of handle the ball like Simmons does. But, you know, th- then you get into the point, can he shoot well enough? And well, then again, faults is a pretty good shooter. So it seems like part of the reason I think why they moved up to get Fultz 
was that he compliments or apparently compliments what Simmons does. Is Joel Embiid's health still the major concern for the Sixers going forward? Joel Embiid is it's like Carson Wentz with the Eagles. Okay. If Joel Embiid never becomes what we think he can become because of the injuries, well, you're not back at square one because you have Simmons and Fultz and Sarge, but he's the he, you're not going to win a championship in all likelihood. Uh, that's just the way it is. Now, somebody has to tell me when was the last time a big man in the NBA or even a player, a guard, but, but let's stick with big men, had played 30 games in three years because of injuries and then became an all-star MVP, whatever word you want to put in their type player. Bill Walton, no. Yao Ming, no. Sam Bowie, no. Um, uh, Greg Oden, no. So when people say, well, you know, you're, you're, beat, you're not getting – I'm just saying, this guy might be healthy for the rest of his life. I have no idea. But he's like 290 pounds or 280 pounds or whatever, however he is. It's a lot of wear and tear on your legs. He's had back issue. He's had a leg issue. He's had a knee issue. Um, he's played 30 games in three years. And now going forward, if you're going to be a championship team at some point, three, four years from now or whatever, well, he's got to play 115 games, 120. I mean, what does LeBron play every year, 105? So, you know, at some point, he's got to be on the court for a significant uh, amount of your games. And until I see it, and maybe not just one year, but, you know, two or three years in a row. And I'm just telling you, tell me the big man that's done that. I, I, I can't come up with one. So he maybe he's going to break the mold. There are a lot of players on this roster right now. I mean, you've got Covington and Nick Stauskas is still there, Dario Saric, T.J. McConnell, who everybody seems to love, Jared Bayless, who only played three games last year. How's this going to shake out? Who's going to be the starting five? Um, well, I mean, it's Embiid, Simmons, and Fultz. Um, and then you need a two-guard. I mean, I think Saric eventually – where I think he can be really, really his best is as a six-man. That's just me. Mm -hmm. You come off the bench, you're playing against – he's still going to play 30 minutes a game, whether he's starting, coming off the bench, whatever. And then you're playing against the other team's second-teamers. I I just think he could be a real valuable part there. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess – I I guess Covington. I mean, mean, they can go out in free agency. There's a lot of talk that they're going to go out and sign Ilyasovic, who they let go – uh, you know, at the trade deadline last year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's still it's still a very evolving thing. They're, they're a long way from being a finished product. I mean, I think people have to realize that. They, I mean, they went from 10 wins to 28 wins with Simmons not playing and, and, and B playing 30 games. So that, that was pretty good. But the easier step to make is going from from horrible to – 40, 45 wins. You can do that. Going from the 40 or 45 to 60, that's the harder step. Um, you know, and that's what they're going to have to do eventually if they want to, you know, be what they want to be. And I don't think they're in this to just lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, you know, I think the goals at some point are, you know, they, they want to be in the finals and winning the finals. 
So, Mike, I forget where exactly you stood on the whole trust the process thing, but if the Sixers are contenders for the top seed in the East in the spring of 2019, you know, two years from right now, does that mean that the tanking was all worth it? Hey, if, you, if you're willing to sit through, I mean, every team, you know, the Astros lost 100 games three years in a row. Were they tanking? I don't know. The Pirates were horrible for, for two decades. The Royals were horrible for, for, I mean, the Phillies now are going through a process of their own. Um, I mean, look, the, the, the hinky people are going to say, yeah, it was worth it. I, I mean, it, 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 but, but if you were one of those people that had to sit through the last couple of years, it wasn't a lot of fun. You know, and like I said, we still don't know it's going to work out. I mean, one of the pieces was uh, Okafor. That didn't work out. One of the pieces was Noel. That didn't work out. What if Embiid doesn't work out? You know, how's your process then? I mean, you know, I'm just saying. It's not a finished product yep, yet. You haven't, won until, you, haven't, you haven't made the playoffs yet. Let, let, you know, we're, we're really putting – you're saying in two years that they're going to be Eastern Conference contenders. I'm not saying that they might not be because I don't know what's going to happen in Cleveland or Boston or Washington, but other teams are trying too. It seems to me that Boston's pretty well positioned to be, to be a player for the long haul. So maybe if LeBron doesn't stay in Cleveland, yeah, maybe that makes Cleveland not a factor. What if LeBron stays? He's, you know, LeBron's probably still got three or four more years where he's going to be one of the best players in the NBA or the best player in the NBA and whatever team he's on. I mean, the man's been in eight straight finals or seven straight finals, whatever the heck it's been. So, you know, like I said, getting the 40-45 wins is doable. Get the 55 or 60. You know, and then and then we'll have the conversation. You know, what if they never win a championship? What if they never get to the yeah. finals? And we don't have yeah, that then answer. I don't have that answer know. for I, – I mean, but they did, or at least the, or the organization did what it felt it had to do. And I can't necessarily fault them for that, but what they did to the fans um, leaves kind of a bad taste in my mouth. You know, but that's me. Do you have faith in Brett Brown as the head coach? Uh, I mean, look, he showed me something last year. I mean, they played, like I said, I mean, your, your top pick doesn't play. Your, the, the, the centerpiece of your team plays 30 games. And you won 28, which was 18 more than the year before, even though the year before was dread. Um, I, I mean... I mean, he has the right pedigree. The players seem to like him. We're going to find out now. Now, now you have some talent. Let's see, you know, let's see what they do this year. I mean, the expectations, the expectations probably for this year will be that they can be a playoff team, that they can be the eighth seed or the seventh seed or whatever it amounts to. So, if they only win thirty-five games and don't make the playoffs, it'll be a disappointment, I think. Um. You know, so now you have some expectations. Now you have some, um, you know, I think there's a little bit more built-in pressure with that. And then, and maybe that's a good thing, too. I, I don't, You know, I don't know. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I tend to yep. give him – I tend to like him. I, I tend to think – and he's been through a lot. I mean, he's been through all this crap, too. So Oh, yeah, four years you know, Maybe he feels like a weight – well, maybe he feels like a weight's been lifted off him. Now that they have some players, but then again, you know, Fultz has to buy into whatever brand, whatever he's selling. Simmons has to buy into whatever he's selling. We don't know that yet because we haven't seen either of them play. 
It's going to be fun. Hey, Mike, hang on for one second for a brief musical interlude. Cruel summer, Mike, can only mean one thing. We're going to talk about our Philadelphia Phillies for a minute. What the heck is going on with this team this year, which right now is on a pace for 110 losses? Right. Well, I mean, you know, the over-under in Vegas before the year started, I think, was 73. So, um, I probably would have bet the over, but not by much. But, you know, what were we expecting? I mean, the, the problem with this team, and this is just me looking at it from, from kind of, you know, they went out in the off season and picked up guys who really weren't going to help them. I mean, Howie Kendrick has helped them. I, so I shouldn't necessarily say it, but like uh, the guy they just let go, um, you know, the, the outfielder, they saw Saunders. Saunders. Um, they went out and got Clay Buckholz. You know, he hurt his arm after two pitches. Um, we heard before hmm. the year started, well, they've got a lot of pitching. They've got, no, they don't. They don't have pitching. Their bullpen has been a mess, and that was supposed to be a strength. Um, is there anybody on this team right now that is like a one or two starter in, in baseball? I no, don't think so. Definitely not. So now you go to uh, what do you have coming up? Well, you know, we were all led to believe that Crawford, the shortstop, you know, I think two years ago he was the number three prospect in all of baseball. Now we're being told he's, he might not be all that. Um, hey, he's hitting like 201. Well, the fans here are clamoring. They want to see these guys that they've been hearing about. And the organization right now is saying, no, you know, we're not ready to bring them up. They're not, whatever. And Mikael Franco has been a big disappointment. He was supposed to be one of your guys going forward. It was going to be, you know, one of your guys. Um, Herrera in center, I mean, he, he's, he's a decent player, but, you know, to, to, to give him a four- or five-year contract, whatever it was, I mean, it wasn't a, a ton of money, I guess, in today's world. But, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, Altair has been okay in right field. He's provided, you know, but, I mean, they're just, you watch them and they're just not that good. And and all the manager keeps saying is, I know we're better than this. Just, okay, well, that's fine. You know we're better than this. But, you know, you've lost like, uh, I mean, whatever the record is, or 25 games under 500. It's just nobody in Philadelphia cares about them. They're, they're just, they've become the worst thing you can become, which is they're, they're unwatchable. They're not, you know, and, and Eagles training camp will be starting soon. And then everybody then will really not care. Um, and that's sad because it's been now – you know, people forget from 07 to, to, to 11, Phillies had, you know, one of their best runs ever. You know, it goes back to the, to the late 70s, early 80s would be the only other one. Those are the two runs that they've had. Each one produced a championship. And, and that lasted five years, basically, five division championships. Well, now it's been 2012 to now is 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We're in the sixth year of this. Which, I mean, it wasn't horrible the first two years. They were like a 500 team. But we're in six years. So it's almost – it's a longer streak right now than the good streak was. And there's no, uh, you know, end of the rainbow kind of thing. And I think it's really starting to, to – now, that doesn't mean that in a year or so, two or three guys can't come up from the minors and, and turn out to be guys. And, and, you know, and it starts to turn around. And, I mean, everybody thinks they have some guys down in the minors. But – you know, and, and the organization is not willing to spend right now, and probably rightfully so, because, you know, it's really not going to – it doesn't make sense to go out and spend lots of money if you're really not – but at some point you have to turn that corner. However that, you know, 
develops itself two years from now or whatever. You know, there's talk about they might make a run at Mike Trout at some point if he's a free agent or Bryce Harper. They're not going to outbid the Yankees for Bryce Harper. I mean, come on. It, it's, you know, that's baseball. Now, maybe Mike Trout, you know, at some point in his life wants to play near his home, near, near where he grew up, you know, in South Jersey. I, I don't know. Um, but it just seems like they stink and they're not doing anything about it. And I don't know if they can do anything about it. You know, I don't know if, they, but and, but I think the fans here have just they're 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 starting to get sick of it, and you know that's a problem. And we're all hoping that they would have brought up like a Nick Williams or a Reese Hoskins. Instead, they bring up Cam Perkins and Hobie Milner, whoever those guys are. So that's that's well, enough Phillies talk, Hoskins Mike. That's is, enough. The, the problem with Hoskins is Joseph has played well uh, the last yeah. month and a half, so you know you're kind of stuck there. Um, so at some point you either probably trade Tommy Joseph or you, you know, you probably, you can't have both of them probably. The Nick Williams thing right. is a little more, I mean, the Nick Williams, what I've been told, or what we're told is he still strikes out too much and they want to have a team of guys, like they want him to work on that. You know, they don't want, and you'll probably see him in September. I mean, we were supposed to see him last September, but then he, he just, he wasn't playing well at the time. But I think, you know, the guy everybody really wants to see is Crawford. Because we've heard about this guy for like three years, and and I'm just not sure Crawford's going to be the next Jimmy Rollins. Um, He's not getting it done at Triple A. We kind of, not getting it done. No, and we were and we were kind of led to believe that, and that was you know that was the guy. And the, and the pitching, you know, who knows about pitching? I mean, pitching, you know, but this team needs pitching. They don't have starting pitching, you know. And and when your whole philosophy is to go out and get some guys that you hope are good at the All Star break that you can trade. That's bad. That that to me. What are you trading? So, so if one if, if one of your pitchers is is decent, and then the contender says we'll give you something for what are they giving you? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at this thing backwards, but it just seems to me that at some point you have to start, um, you know, cutting bait or, or you know or what's the line? You know, Fisher cut bait. Um, and and mm-hmm. I still think now fans are looking at it as they're still at least a couple years away. Where I think people were starting to get excited a little bit around here um, that maybe, you know, next year they could maybe, maybe, you know, contend for the second wild card. And then in 19, they could, you know, and, and right now you don't see that happening. And things can change fast in sports. And, and, you know, we've seen it in baseball all the time where teams go from being bad to being good. But usually those teams, like the Astros, had like three kids that came up and became stars. You just don't see that for the Phillies right now. Nope. Hey, Mike, in our final two minutes, let's play a real quick game of Fast Five. Five questions, five brief answers. These are all simple ones for you, I'm sure. Here we go. The NBA announces the Rookie of the Year winner on Monday. Will it be Joel Embiid, Dario Saric, or the Bucks' Malcolm Brogdon? It'll be Saric. I hope you're right. Who wins the 2018 Rookie of the Year award? Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, or someone else? Well, yeah, it's um, uh, my, my, I'm almost tempted to say someone else, only because they hmm. might, uh, you know, erase each Split other out. But I'll go Ben Simmons. How's that? I'll go Ben Simmons. Okay. All right. I asked D. Lineham this one last week. Let's see if you agree. If I set the over/under for games played by Joel Embiid next season at 55, do you go over or under? I, I would optimistically take the over, but not by a whole lot. Yeah, 
that's what D and I said pretty much the same thing. We're going to go over and hope for the best. All right, now it's only June, but what is your early guess on wins for the Eagles next season and their playoff prospects? Well, their schedule looks pretty tough, although that, you know, what looks tough in, in June can always change. I, I would say somewhere, I think they'll be a better team, but I still think it's somewhere around eight wins. And then if I say okay. that, you know, that means it could be six wins if, you know, if a couple games they blow and ten wins if they get lucky. Because there's always five or six or seven games in the NFL that come down to, like, you know, the last minute. And, you know, you, mm-hmm. and last year they lost a lot of those games. Yes, they did. Finally, Mike, uh, as mentioned, the Phillies are on pace for 110 losses as we speak. Who is uh, going to represent the Phillies in the All-Star game next month? Uh, uh, the, the, the reliever, Neshik, Neshik I can't I'm so, I pronounce his name. Pat Neshek. Pat yeah. Neshek. He will be, he's had a really good year on a team that hasn't had a good year. So I, I think yep, he will be guess. there. Um, at least that seems to be the consensus among the Philly writers. Got to have somebody there. Mike, great job once again with Fast Five. Thanks for visiting again here on Philly Press Box Radio, and have yourself a great summer. Okay, man, you too. Take care. All right, take care. Now, while I have a few minutes, I wanted to mention what a great time Bill Furman and I had Tuesday at Ron Jaworski's Downingtown Country Club, scene of Dick Vermeil's 25th annual golf outing to benefit the Boy Scouts. There were some 40 Vermeil area Eagles in attendance, including Jaws, Bill Berge, Bill Bradley, Jerry Sizemore, Vince Papali, Keith Krepsley, John Spagnola, John Bunny, many others. And it was just fantastic. Also great to see Leslie Goodell, a three-time visitor to Philly Press Box Radio, uh, but whom I hadn't talked to in person, actually, in about five years. I also had a nice chat with WIP Midday co-host, Joe DeCamera, a good guy. He and uh, John Ritchie do a real nice job on WIP every day. Oh, we also had a good chat with a very nice woman named Luann, who told us her husband had been a fan of our show. Unfortunately, though, he, Keith, passed away a mere three months ago. And she said she went to the event yesterday because he loved going to the Vermeil Invitational, and organizer Kevin Riley invited her back, and she went in her husband's memory. Very nice to meet you, Louie, and again, sorry for your loss. Thanks to our buddy Kevin Riley for inviting Bill Furman and me, and congratulations to Kevin and Coach Vermeil on a fantastic, very successful event. Bill and I will almost certainly talk a bit more about it when we're back on the show together next week. Speaking of next week, Bill and I will have lots to discuss regarding the Sixers and Flyers, since both drafts will be in the books. And we'll be joined by, well, at this point, let's call it a mystery guest, because it's not etched in stone just yet. We will, though, have Sixers talk, Flyers talk, maybe some Eagles discussion, and if we must, some Phils talk, too. Let's see if they can win a game or two between now and then. Hey, don't forget about our website. It is pretty awesome, if I must say so myself. A Philly-centric scoreboard, original pieces by Bill and me. Some of the day's best content from philly.com and elsewhere, and all sorts of other fun stuff. It is all there for you at phillypressboxradio.com. We are moving right along here, and it is time now for my parting shot, one in keeping with the theme, the theme for tonight, of course, the fact that it is the first day of summer. Summer is officially here, and there are loads of great songs about the summer season, from Sinatra's Summer Wind to Sly Stone's Hot Fun in the Summertime to Kid Rock's All Summer Long, plus, oh, about 100 or 200 others. But one that often stays in my head is Brian Adams' Summer of 69, about him playing in his first band, you know, one that tried real hard 
and uh, sexual discovery. As for me, I was nine years old in 1969, but I do have a lot of memories of that summer. There was the moon landing, of course, the Manson murders, Woodstock, and the release of what's still my very favorite Rolling Stone song. Hits at the movies included True Grit, Easy Rider, and the X-rated Midnight Cowboy. I was a little too young for all of those, but I do remember going to the drive-in with my parents to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and my mom laughing hysterically in a couple of scenes. The summer of 1969 also saw those Miracle Mets get on an amazing roll, culminating, of course, with that surprising World Series victory over the Orioles. The summer wasn't so great for our Phillies. The 1969 Phils had a starting pitching staff of Rick Wise, Grant Jackson, Woody Fryman, Jerry Johnson, and Billy Champion, and a lineup that included Darren Johnson, Irish Mike Ryan, John Briggs, Cookie Rojas, a young Don Money, and a getting old Tony Taylor. The one star player was Dick Allen, who, despite being suspended for a month for not showing up for a game, ended the season with 32 home runs and 89 RBI. It was the unhappy Allen's final season in his first go-round as a Philly. Disharmony on the team prompted manager Bob Skinner to resign in early August, replaced by interim manager George Myatt. The Phillies finished that season with a record of 63-99. and Not a memorable Phillies season that summer of 69, and sadly, the summer of 17, in terms of the Phillies at least, is looking even worse. Yes, it is. And that's going to put a bow on things for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Philly Press Box Radio. I sure did. Great time talking with roller derby legend Judy Arnold and Philadelphia Daily News columnist Mike Kern. Always great to get his perspective on things. Thanks to Judy and Mike, and thanks also to our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, LuLaRoe, Taylor & Heather, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Bill Furman, who's traveling this week, this is Jim Chet Chesko. And I hope you did enjoy the show and will join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, June 28th at 7 p.m. Bill and I will have a special guest to talk all things Philly sports. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, or the TuneIn app. Go Sixers! With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.